Welcome to More, the podcast where Debbie will explore real-life applicable ways to get more out of your life. And here's Debbie. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to More. And as I'm just looking, I can see that the holidays got away from me and I just got behind. So here I am with the next episode. I apologize for those of you who are waiting for the next one to come out. Back on track and here we go. Um, we're going to do chapter three and chapter four in Atomic Habits. And there's a lot of science in, the, in these, so I'm going to skim over some of the science and go through it a little quicker. And hopefully we can get to the meat of the chapters. This is a great chapter to start the new year. Like be thinking of new habits that we want to create for ourselves. And ways that we want to make changes. So I'm pretty, uh, I like it. Anyway, here we go. In um, He talks about, at the beginning of chapter 3, it's called How to Build Better Habits in Four Simple Steps. And he talks about how there's a psychologist in 1898, way long ago, named Edward Thorndike. And he did a study on cats. And basically, he, just, he they would put a cat in a box and there would be a little trigger that they could put their paw on. And when the trigger, when they put their paw on the trigger, the door opened and they could become free. They noticed that, he noticed that the more that they put the cat in the box, it took a while for the cat to figure out that that trigger was there. And then the more that they put that cat in the box, the quicker and faster the cat figured out that the trigger was there. So at first it took a few minutes for them to get out of the box and later it would just take seconds. And what they learned from that was that behaviors followed by satisfying consequences tend to be repeated, and those that produce unpleasant consequences are less likely to be repeated. So it helps us understand habits and why the brain um, builds habits. He says that habits are simply reliable solutions to reoccurring problems in our environment, and then as we create habits the level of activity in our brain decreases and we just do it without thinking. Your brain scripts, skips the process of trial and error and creates a mental rule and that just does it. And really our brain and our mind, our conscious mind likes to pawn tasks off to the non-conscious mind so that we just do it automatically. And he says, I really like this paragraph, he says, despite their efficiency, habits... Some people still wonder about the benefit of habits. Their argument goes like this. Will habits make my life dull? If I don't want to pigeonhole myself into a lifestyle I don't enjoy, doesn't so much routine take away the vibrancy and spontaneity of life? Hardly, he says. Such questions set up a false belief system. They make you think that you have to choose between building habits and attaining freedom. In reality, the two things complement each other, he says. And he says that habits create freedom instead of restricting freedom. Because, he says, when you make the fundamentals of life easier, then you can create mental space needed for creativity and thinking and problem solving. And then he says there's four steps that make habits work, and it's the four are cue, craving, response, and reward. And the cue is what triggers your brain 
to initiate an action. The craving is the motivational force behind every habit. The response is the actual habit that you perform. And then the reward is the end goal of every habit. And then those create a habit loop that we do over and over again. Cue, craving, response, reward. Over and over. So then he says there's four ways to create a good habit. And they go with the, lo- the different words. The cue is make it obvious. The craving is make it attractive. The response is make it easy. And the reward is make it satisfying. And then he says you can do the same with breaking bad habits. The cue would be make it invisible. The craving is make it unattractive. The response is make it difficult. And the reward is make it unsatisfying. So then I think the rest of the book goes along these four questions. So about the next four or five chapters go coincide with make it obvious. How can I make it obvious? How can I make the cue obvious? So then he goes on to the next chapter and he starts by telling some stories of people where the human brain is kind of a a prediction machine and they've had enough experience with things that they can predict and see things that other people can't. He talks about a woman who's a who was a nurse and she went to a family gathering and she well she was a paramedic and she went to a family gathering and she'd seen so many people um, with heart issues and blockages and heart attacks and things that she was talking to her father-in-law and she said you don't look right and basically she saved his life nobody noticed but his coloring just wasn't exactly right and so they took him in and he had a heart blockage and he um, he could have died and they saved his life there's other stories where military people can identify a blip, a little blip on a radar screen that everybody else thinks are exactly the same as the other ones um and people who work at museums can tell fake artwork or people that are trying to copy it where other people can't and he just says that or also he talks about radiologists who can look at a an x-ray and see things that other people just can't see like strokes and I mean I've been in that I've been in that boat myself looking at um, an MRI or an x-ray and I can't see anything and they totally see everything So I know that that's true, that people, we train ourselves to see things. With my job at school, I have this ability to like monitor and and get goals exactly perfect. I mean, not, not in every case am I perfect, but a lot. I can identify a goal for a student and what they're, how, how much they can reach just because I've done it so much. So we have skills that we train ourselves to be able to do. So he says, with enough practice, you can pick up on the cues that predict certain outcomes without consciously thinking about it. Then habits form and your actions come automatic and they go to your non-conscious mind and they just happen. He tells a story of a girl that um, when people would use a gift card, they were told that they needed to cut the cards up. And she had been doing it so many times that accidentally a a girl came in and used her credit card and she grabbed it and cut it up accidentally. I'm sure we all find ourselves doing things like this. 
that you just do things automatic because you're used to it. He, he tells a story of a, um, a lifeguard who would say walk so much because, you know, they don't want people to slip and fall on the um, wet floors that when he saw some people, some kids running, he told them to walk. And a kindergarten teacher who switched jobs and were telling people to wash their hands before, after they went to the bathroom and they, she was working with adults. So they're just habits that we form. Then he quotes um, a famous psychologist, Carl Jung, and, he, and the quote was, Until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it faith. So then he teaches us, this is like the meat of the two chapters, I believe. He calls it the Habits Scorecard. He tells us about this, the Japanese railway, railway system and how effective it is and it, how it's one of the best in the world. And he, they do something called point and call on a regular basis. And so each person in the train, they'll say green light, they'll say um, the speed, they'll say the time, they'll say all clear, and they have all these different things that they say and they actually point out and they call and apparently they when they started doing this they reduced their errors by 85 percent and cut their accidents by 30 percent and he said um james clear said when he went to japan he saw this in action a woman a woman's son had got onto the bullet train and as the doors were closing she was left outside so she reached her hand in and to to get her son and grab him and her arm got jammed and because of the point and call system that they were doing they were able to catch the mistake and save her life i'm guessing that these the train operators were doing this so much day in and day out that they just became numb to um the system and it and they had failures because they just didn't look they weren't conscious enough to to pay attention so i think they started this he says many of our failures in performance are largely attributed to lack of self-awareness and i think that's really true we don't even really know ourselves he says one of our greatest challenges in changing habits is maintaining awareness of what we are actually doing so he says to create a list of, he calls it the habit scorecard, score and you just write down the things that you do all the time, and you just write them down, and you just might make a scorecard. So he has a sample list of where it starts. Like you wake up, you turn off your alarm, you check your phone, you go to the bathroom, you weigh yourself, you take a shower, you brush your teeth, you floss your teeth. You put on deodorant, you hang up your towel to dry, you get dressed, etc., etc. You do all these things, right? And then he says, after you write them down, you put like a plus next to the more um, good habits, a minus next to the bad ones, and an equal sign next to the neutral ones, ones that are neither positive nor negative. So waking up is a neutral, an equal, turning off the alarm, um, equal however if you hit the snooze button over and over again it might be a minus right check your phone he, he wrote minus go to the bathroom equal weigh myself plus take a shower plus brush my teeth plus etc etc 
He says there might be times that it's hard for you to tell if it, the habit is a plus or a minus or a neutral. And he says there's a question he likes to use. Does this behavior help me become the type of person I wish to be? Does this habit cast a vote for or against my desired identity? So those are questions that you can ask yourself as you rate, your, rate the things that you do. He says, right now there's no need to change anything. Just notice what is actually going on. So that's it um, for this chapter. He says, the first step to changing bad habits or good ones is to be on the lookout for them. And so I think about this, and I think some people are just not going to do this. And like I think... I give a lot of, um, I read these suggestions and I don't do everything perfectly either. So I've been thinking about, you know, it's January, my students are creating a vision board, I need to create my new vision board and decide what I want to do and what I want to become. And so I think that you have to take action. You might just listen to this and say, okay, it's good and I'll think about it and then never do it. Um, we have to take action on the things that we want to do if we want to change behavior. So I encourage you to give it a try. Um, but maybe you're going to just listen and see where it goes. And I can understand that too. But he, he does say that the process of behavior change always starts with an awareness. You need to be aware of your habits before you can change them. And I will say that often I feel like I don't. I think that I know myself. So I I say, well, I know my I know what I do. I I'm, I'm aware of my habits, but it'll be interesting to see if I do this myself. Anyway, um we'll get into the next chapter and maybe I'll do two depending on how much there is in it to see um I think the next four chapter three or four chapters I looked ahead go with this make it obvious. And that's being coming aware. And one thing I do know is that changes happen with little things. And that's why this book is called Atomic Habits. So don't be afraid to do the very small things to make the changes. Hope you guys have a good couple weeks. Sorry I was late in getting the podcast out. Have a great couple weeks, everybody. See you.